People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Hello lucky listeners, this is your second instalment of Premier League Insights within a matter of days. We're done and dusted with the midweek fixtures, so now I've got Jake Osgathorpe back again to look ahead to this weekend. Hello Jake. Hi Ben. Yeah, looking forward to hopefully another profitable weekend. Yeah, I was going to say, good week for you this week? Yeah, we've, the model's done really well this week. Obviously the, the highlight was the Manchester United beating Tottenham at a, a really big price and we obviously had a huge amount of value in that one, so... Um, yeah, we've got another one of those this week, but I'm not as confident as I was in the United game. Well, no pressure. We'll move on and we'll have to find out what it is. <laughs> it is in the first game, so you don't have to wait long. Well, let's do it then. We've got Everton versus Chelsea and obviously Everton are coming into this picture off the back of their manager getting the chop for a poor run of results. The performances weren't too bad at the start, but losses to Norwich, Leicester and then that heavy derby defeat to Liverpool signalled the end for Marco Silva and it's Duncan Ferguson that takes the reins for the home game against Chelsea. They solidified their top four hopes after mm, scraping past Villa, maybe. Scoreline was 2-1, probably about the right result, but you you would have expected more from Chelsea. We did we had that brief stint of them looking good at the back, but it looks not like now that the, the focus is just on out attacking their opponents once again. So it should be a good game. Is there any value in Duncan Ferguson getting Everton back to winning ways or, or does Infogol think the misery will continue for them? Well, this is the one I was talking about, the huge value in, um, in a home team. So uh, no surprises there that we, we think that Everton have got a, a much better chance of winning this game than the bookmakers do. So uh, you can back Everton around 27% on the market and we've got them at 37%. we have actually got them favourites, which is a huge surprise. But um, yeah, the big thing is where to start with Everton. I mean, uh, to the eye, they were completely outplayed by Liverpool in midweek. They looked vulnerable and weak defensively. Um, every time Liverpool were attacked, that route one ball was causing them so much, so many problems. Um, but based on expected goals, the, the quality of chances created by both teams was actually pretty equal. Um, it was only Liverpool's clinicalness that, that separated the two sides. In the first half, Liverpool had five shots and scored four goals, which um, is not something that happens every every game and, and arguably Jordan Pickford could have done better with a, a, a few of those. Um, and that, you know, that seems to be the story of Everton's season so far is that they're conceding too many goals to what we would expect. And they've allowed 27 goals this season, which is seven more than would be expected based on the chances they've faced. So they've, they've allowed 20.2 expected goals against. Um, yeah, so I, either way, the underlying numbers have been really strong this season. They've been the most unfortunate team according to expected goals. Um, but that defeat at Anfield saw them slip into the bottom three, which, yeah, ultimately cost Marco Silva his job. And you have to wonder whether he was maybe slightly unfortunately treated um, based on the underlying process. But obviously, results it's a results-based business. And um, he was unfortunately had a bit of negative variance at the start of the season in which when they had an easy run of fixtures, they were playing well, but not getting the results. And now the tough run of fixtures has come along and um, it's a lot harder to snap out of uh, out of a slump against good teams than it is against bad teams. So ultimately that cost his job and yeah, whoever comes in has got a, got a tough task, but you know, th- this, this old myth of the new manager bounce, 
basically is just negative variance equal evening out. So if that is the if that is the case, then um, you can expect a, a Duncan Ferguson's team to almost pull something out of the fire in this game and, and potentially cause a big upset. Like I said, the process has been strong. They're at 1.66 expected goals for and 1.35 expected goals against per game. Uh, they, cre- they create a good chances against Liverpool. They cause plenty of problems. Um, and it shouldn't be forgotten either that, that Everton have already beaten Wolves at Goodison Park. They put in a good display against Manchester City and racked up nearly three expected goals against them. And they held Tottenham to a draw in which they edged the XG battle. So they can't be underestimated here at all. Um, and if you look to the most recent meetings of the two sides, Everton ran out comfortable 2-0 winners. So, um, you know, they, they've got that in their favour. And that was when Chelsea had arguably a stronger team with the likes of Eden Hazard in there. So, yeah, don't write Everton off in this game. I know that there's obviously the, the odds suggest that the, the, the punters in the market have completely written them off. But especially at Goodison Park, I won't be too sure. And like you mentioned, Chelsea have shown more vulnerabilities in, again in midweek. It was a fully uh, deserved win against Aston Villa. Uh, I'm not buying into the, the narrative of they were hanging on. I mean, it's only hanging on if you're conceding bucket loads of big chances. But when you're conceding 2% shots from 35 yards, I don't consider that hanging on really. Um, they look strong in attack. Tammy Abraham was back in the starting lineup again after an injury and he got back on the score sheet. So he'll be a huge danger once again. But they've kept only three clean sheets this season, which is a huge worry. And Everton do have the capabilities of, of unlocking defences like they showed against Liverpool. So, um, like I've said, Infragol thinks there's a huge amount of value in backing Everton to win here. We make them favourites. Um, but if you want a more cautious bet, we've also got a huge amount of value in, in, in Everton or the draw. Um, that can be backed, I think it's around 53% on the market. And Infragol has that closer to 64%. So... Just taking Chelsea on here, we think Chelsea are too short. We think Everton are being underestimated. So getting on side with Everton is the play in this one. Yeah, the market definitely big on Chelsea for this one. You have to feel like it's it's only a matter of time before Everton start getting the results that those performances have, have maybe deserved. Now, I must admit, I like the idea of Marco Silva going into the, the boardroom when he's about to get the sack and saying, look at the expected goals. It's it's just negative variance or, or trying to come up with some excuse. <laughs> Yeah, um, I would imagine that the statist- um, statisticians in the club that will have brought that to the attention of, um, of Mashiri, the, the majority owner, and he's probably laughed them out of town saying, you know, at the end of the day, results it's a results business. And he's right, you know, when he bought Everton, I think he expected to be sat in the 50 games of the Premier League. So um, sometimes, sometimes, although the process might be good, things can get a little bit sound, um, too predictable for players and, and, and the opposition. So sometimes a change can shake things into action. But yeah, that like I say, if they continue performing with the same process throughout the rest of the season, they won't get relegated. They'll be a comfortable mid-table team and they've just got to weather this tough run of fixtures. Right, so now we can move on to Bournemouth versus Liverpool. And I mean, hats off to anyone who can work Bournemouth out this season. They started off with that free-flowing and attack, shaky at the back style. We talked about them shoring things up and not doing much up top. They then reverted back to type and then against Crystal Palace, I mean, they just... It barely showed up, really. I mean, fair enough, they limit them to 0.38 XG, but to only get 0.4 XG yourselves from five or six shots against 10 men for the best part of 70 minutes, I mean, it's pretty awful. Um, they've obviously now got a very tough task on their hands in stopping Liverpool. Clinical once again, as you said, against Everton in that 5-2 win. They've managed managed to rest a few key players, and as these wins keep stack, stacking up, you have to think it's, it's looking more and more like Liverpool's year. So 
what chance does InfoGoal give Bournemouth of ending that 30 ga- 32 game unbeaten run? And is there any value on offer here, do you think? Um, well, we, we think Liverpool are too short for this. Um, whether Which does mean that there is a little bit of value in, in, in signing with Bournemouth. But after what we've seen in the last four weeks, there's no way that I could um, advise anyone to get on side with Bournemouth here, especially what we saw at Crystal Palace. They were absolutely woeful. I mean, to play against 10 men for... 70 minutes of the game and, and generate 0.4 XG is absolutely pathetic. Um, Eddie Howe needs to have a real real hard look at him, uh, his team and, uh, and his, his tactics and the way he's setting them up and just ask whether he's getting the best out of them because there are some really good, talented attacking players and they are one of the highest scoring teams in the league usually. So, um, yeah, that was a huge surprise. I think you could argue that the red card did hurt them um, in the sense that it just meant that Crystal Palace played a uh, a, a 10-man block almost, uh, in which case you have to move the ball much quicker and, and he came out afterwards and said that that's something that they didn't do. So, um, understandable. And, and to be fair to Bournemouth, coming into this game, they, they usually do perform a lot better against the better teams uh, because they're provided with more space, uh, which helps them when they're playing on the counter-attack with the pace of like Wilson and well, both Wilsons, Callum and Harry. Um, and Solanke's not too, uh, not too slow either. But it's just whether, it's whether they can be tight enough defensively in this game for me. I think they'll get on the score sheet. It's just whether they can keep Liverpool out. And from what we've seen so far this season, the answer to that is uh, is a resounding no. Um, they're allowing 1.72 expected goals against per game, which is yeah, it's, it's what we expect from Bournemouth, really. That, that, that's the sort of level of process that they've churned out over the last three or four years. Um, and they've, they've, you know, they've stayed up with that. So fair play to them but they're going to find it difficult to stop Liverpool here and as you mentioned Liverpool rested quite a few players um, in midweek and what a luxury to to be able to rest Firmino and Salah and bring on big Diva Carigi. he was awesome against Everton that's like a new player um, yeah he was absolutely sensational he just caused them so many problems and and you know what I'd be disappointed if he doesn't keep his place in this game he was that good um, I think that's why Klopp took him off early he was resting him for this game uh, but yeah, they, they for me that was one of the best Liverpool performances I've seen in a long time. They they played, they looked like full of energy. They looked revitalised, and I think just just to changing a few things has made a made a huge impact. Um, I think you could argue that Salah and Firmino were perhaps burnt out a little bit. Um, they played a lot of football. Obviously, the Copa America in in the summer for Firmino and and the African Cup of Nations for Salah, and obviously the World Cup the summer before. So neither of them have had too much rest and. Um, the only player in the team that doesn't need rest is obviously Sadio Mane. He's just an absolute machine. I don't know how he does it. Um, he was awesome as well. And yeah, I, I just think this is a, um, a matter of how many Liverpool win by, really. They, they look sensational. Counter-attacking-wise, the only issue you've got is that defensively, they do still look really vulnerable. And I don't know whether that's Klopp saying uh, or trying to play a more attacking style rather than um, defence first. But... I don't know how long he'll uh, he'll keep playing that for. Yeah, I, I can see. I think Infogol model thinks there's goals here. Like, um, we think it's going to be a, a typical Bournemouth performance. Chances at both ends, but mainly uh, through Liverpool. 62% chance of over two and a half. Uh, we're 59% of both teams to score. So we think there's going to be plenty of goals. And um, I won't put anyone off back in Liverpool to win and both teams to score for what would be, is it the 12th time this season or something that that's happened? We won 14 games and, yeah, 
yeah, I, I think Liverpool to win and both teams to score is is looking like a pretty solid bet every week, given what we're seeing from them. But yeah, go- goals is the way to go in this one for sure. Yeah, really struggling to keep their opponents out for one reason or another, and. As always seems to be the case this season, a Liverpool game or a Man City game, we're looking at a high total goals market, three and 3.5, and the market just edging towards the under, but that, that's be to, to be expected when you've got such a high mark. Our next game is Tottenham versus Burnley, and only a matter of time before Tottenham's winning start under Mourinho came to an end, and it just so happened to be against his former club, Manchester United, and it just so happened to be a, a nice suggested bet from you, Jake, as well. Close game, but United they they just about edged it, and we've we've seen a bit of an improvement under Mourinho. It's it's early days for Tottenham, and they're still around a mid-table team based on their their overall performances. Um, Burnley, meanwhile, didn't really disgrace themselves against Manchester City. They've they've had a solid process all season. They've, they've been one of the more consistent teams, obviously, except for that strange result against Sheffield United, but. Tottenham won't want to lose confidence and they'll be keen to to get a good win here. It's it's going to be difficult. Is there any value on Burnley or is is InfoGoal in line with the market expectation? Oh, we, we've got a huge amount of value in, in uh, siding with Burnley in this one, yeah, or opposing Tottenham, if you like. Uh, the market is extremely short of a Tottenham win. Um, 69% is, and the InfoGoal model is looking closer to 48 so we're not even giving them a 50% chance of winning here. Um we think that this is basically two fairly even teams with Tottenham slightly better plus the home advantage, whereas the market suggests that Tottenham are almost twice as good as Burnley, which is, um, yeah, it's a huge surprise for um, from, for me and from an Infragol perspective. So huge deal of value in Burnley. And, and obviously, like you, you, you've alluded to there, Spurs have performed like a mid-table team all season and you're back to, uh, back to doing that in midweek against Manchester United and, it was a fully deserved defeat. They really struggled to create good chances in the game, which is something they've been doing consistently against West Ham, um, Olympiacos and Bournemouth. And, uh, but all I would say to that is that those three teams that they have played are probably three of the worst defensive teams that they'll play all season. So when they came up against a decent defensive unit in Manchester United, they did struggle. And I think they'll struggle again here against the Burnley team that are, they're, they're really relatively solid as well. And um, obviously, whether Musa Sissoko keeps his place after what was a very silly tackle uh, for Marcus Rashford is interesting. And um, I've got to say, I, I question Mourinho. He's, he's renowned for his big game tactics, but he got it completely wrong against Manchester United. Uh, forcing Vertonghen out what, uh, as a left-back because he doesn't trust Danny Rose and, uh, and playing Musa Sissoko in the middle with Harry Winks instead of playing your £60 million midfielder that was bought in the summer and Dombele. Um, and we're seeing uh, sort of a pattern with Tottenham in, in terms of the, they seem to be really slow out the blocks. Um, first 20 minutes of matches, they seem to be uh, almost not not 100% focused or at it. And um, it happened in the West Ham game for the first 20 minutes. It was fairly even. Obviously, Olympiacos racing to a 2-0 lead and fairly even with Bournemouth as well. And um, and obviously, Manchester United took full advantage. They come out of the, out of the traps flying and got themselves into a lead. And all of a sudden, the Tottenham put themselves under pressure. So... I wouldn't be surprised to see something similar here. Burnley can impose their will on Tottenham. I think that this is a um, uh, it's a it's a weak Tottenham defence. It's a weak Tottenham midfield. I think Burnley have the uh, the the potential to cause them some real problems. And um, but then then again, saying that I was really disappointed with them against Manchester City. I thought they could have caused plenty of problems. Obviously at home as well. But it's almost like Sean Dyche should decided to rest players for this game, thinking that he's got a good chance of getting something. So 
Uh, obviously, Ashley Barnes didn't play. He was he was rested. Uh, he came on for two or three minutes at the end and uh, he shifted the formation, which didn't help. But all that says to me is that he's probably got his, his red pen out on the fixture list and said, yeah, that's a winnable game uh, away at Tottenham, which is how every team should be looking at Tottenham right now. Um, like we mentioned, Burnley have got an ex- excellent process. Uh, they sit seventh in our expected goals table. They're doing an awful lot right this season. They're creating good chances on a regular basis. Uh, 1.53 expected goals four per game they're at now, which is which is trending up still from the start of the season. Um, yeah, and I think they could really cause Tottenham problems. We think there'll be goals as well. 55% chance of both teams to score. 53% of over two and a half. Um, so a high scoring draw, or if you if you want an even bigger price, you can get Burnley at around 15 to two, 11% on the market. Yeah, that 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 looks too big to me. Um, if you want a bigger price, take Burnley to win. There's value there, uh, but safe play is to is to oppose Tottenham. You talk about Mourinho's big game tactics there. I don't think if if Burnley keep going the way they're go- going, they might fall into that category pretty soon. Big game tactic. Yeah, I'll let you tell Sean Dice that. He'll make his day. Right, so Watford versus Crystal Palace. Watford still languishing at the bottom of the table after a, another poor performance against Leicester. We spoke about them being a bit unfortunate earlier in the season, but you look to have hit the nail on the head when you said that those performances are now dropping in line to match with the early season results. Crystal Palace pushing for a top six spot, but in reality, they're more like a team that probably just above the relegation zone. I think we've already talked about that Bournemouth game, but the less said about that, the better. They're, they're obviously going to be thrilled to, to come away with a win from that. Is this the game where Watford start to turn their season around or is there any value in signing with a win for the home team? Um, I think this could be the game. This is a, it's a, it's a nice game for Watford, this. Um, obviously, at home, they, they, I mean, they can't, be playing, can't play any worse than they have done over the last two weeks, uh, three weeks even. I mean, the, the performance at Leicester, oh, I know Leicester are flying, but... You would have thought that Watford would have at least tried to impose themselves and, and cause problems, but they generated just 0.22 expected goals, which is for a team with quite a bit of attacking talent is absolutely pathetic. And they they need a new manager in there because the interim manager is not doing a very good job. Um, quite simply, they need to bring someone in, fresh ideas, just bring a lift to the place. It, it's literally they sat rock bottom of the league. They've got one win in fifteen. There's seven points from safety already. They really need a lift. The confidence is at rock bottom. And, and as you mentioned, the, the performances are getting worse. Right? At the start of the season, they were playing well and not getting the results. And now they're just playing poorly and getting beat every week. So something has to change. In terms of their process, they are 17th in our expected goals table. So they were mid-table about three or four games ago and they've just slowly fallen down. Um, they're allowing 1.92 expected goals against per game, which is one of the highest in the league. So they're giving up chances. Um and you know that they're creating 1.21 expected goals for, which isn't bad. Um, it's not the worst in the league, but the main issue they're having is that while they are creating a few decent chances per game, they're just not taking them. They've scored nine goals from chances equating to 18.1 expected goals. So they're literally that they when they do get a chance, which is very rare at the moment, they're just not taking them. And unless that changes, Watford are going to find themselves in the relegation zone for a long time. And it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. You look at the last three games, Burnley, they've generated 1.01, uh, 0.64 against Southampton, 0.22 against uh, Leicester. So really, 
you know they're not creating any chances. So sooner or later they're going to they're going to hit a almost rock bottom and and, and you're going to have nothing to lose. And I think that's probably a dangerous proposition for Crystal Palace in this game because I think that might come here where um, whoever's in charge will just take the handbrake off and, and let them attack because you know they've got some really good flair players. Delafay is really um, you know he's quite creative. He got quite a few goals towards the back end of last season. Obviously now you've got. Troy Deeney in there, who's a, who's a good focal point to work off. Herrera's a very talented player. Decore can burst lines into the box. Uh, Will Hughes is very creative. So, yeah, it's just about setting them up in a way where they've got the best chance of winning. And um, yeah, the sooner they get a new manager in there, the, the better for me. And as for Crystal Palace, I've really not been impressed with them this season. And uh, even though they come into this back to back wins, which lifted them up to seventh in the Premier League, um, yeah, I, I still think that they are. They're very fortunate to be where they are. They they were really lucky to beat Burnley, um, as we spoke about on the Monday pod. Um, and it, obviously against Bournemouth, they did well to limit Bournemouth, really, having played with 10 men. And then it was a real smash and grab, even, in, even though it was in front of their own fans. Um, 0-0 would have arguably been a better, a fairer result in what was a really dull match. Very few chances. And, um, and Crystal Palace scored from a really low probability chance, which arguably watching it back, the goalkeeper should have saved, really. It went straight underneath him. Um, but that's something that Palace have done all season long. They sit 15th in our expected goals table, um, as opposed to 7th in the actual table. And and their process is is actually worse than Watford's. Um, they're allowing 1.79 expected goals against per game, but they're, they're creating fewer 1.04. Uh, so in terms of expected goal difference per game, they're... they're 0.04 worse off than Watford are, which is is telling really, and it shows it just how fortunate Crystal Palace have been. Um, having said that, I know I've said that the two really poor attacking teams, but I think there'll be goals here. I think this is going to be a wide open contest. Um, as I mentioned, the two defenses are conceding chances left and right, um, and I think that both teams have got decent attacking players to take advantage. So. We're looking at both teams to score. We've got a 59% chance of that happening uh, and it's around 55% on the market. But, you know, if you're wanting a, a, something at a bigger price, we have also got a little bit of value in backing the home team, uh, 39% on the market, but you can get them at, well, we think there should be about 43%. So, um, yeah, a small amount of value in, in, in Watford getting the win, but I think the safer play is to go for both teams to score in this one. Well, interesting to hear that one because I think the, the market's probably looking at both teams attack or, or lack of attack because it's 2.5 on on pinnacle with with people buying into the under at quite a rapid rate so we'll have to see what happens there now we've got manchester city versus manchester united and we've just had one cracker of a derby so hopefully we'll get another this weekend um man city are always going to create chances we know that much but united do have a very good defense despite conceding twice as many as Leicester, the actual quality of the chances they're giving away are, are very low on a game-by-game -game basis. And it feels like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's job has been under threat ever since he became the manager on a permanent basis. But you have to feel like if he gets a win here, things begin to look a lot different. And, and with that, Manchester City's title hopes, they're, they're probably all but ended. I know Solskjaer's got a, a fairly decent record against top six teams this season. I don't think they've they've lost just yet. So... Does Infogol think they can get anything out of the game, and and how do the numbers look compared to the odds? Yeah, so we're we're pretty much in line with the the market. To be fair, uh, you can get seventy three percent of a of a home win. We're around sixty nine percent, so we're not too far behind. We, we, we obviously make Manchester City huge favourites, um, but who would have thought that Man United would be going into a, a Manchester derby nine to one to win, which is 
you know, it's a huge price, really. And uh, like you've said, the record in big games this season is really impressive. And um, but then again, this is against the best team in in the league by some way, according to expected goals. So um, yeah, Man City after being they basically took all the frustration out on Burnley in midweek, following a, a very unfortunate two-two draw with. Um, with Newcastle and you know ironically the 2-2 draw the performance in that game was actually better than the performance uh, against Burnley according to expected goals yet yeah, one finished 4-1 and one finished 2-2 showing just how unfortunate they were at, uh, at St James's Park on the Saturday um, what else can you say about City really they're, they're just a, uh, an attacking juggernaut they're just creating chance after chance big chance after big chance averaging um, 2.96 expected goals four per game this season so I've no no problems in uh, in suggesting that they're going to score here. I think that's a pretty much a, a certainty, especially given what we've seen from Manchester United in recent weeks. Um, but an interesting stat: I mean, in all fifteen of Manchester City's Premier League games this season, they've actually won the XG battle, which is um, is quite staggering, especially when you look and you see that they're eleven points behind Liverpool. Which is um, yeah, those two stats don't really add up if you if you. You know, if you're not including luck, for example, but there's been a lot of luck involved in Liverpool's favour and uh, and a lot of luck that's gone against Manchester City in matches. I mean, you only have to look at like I think it was the second game of the season where they drew two two at home with Tottenham and they created like three and a half xG to 0.1 and managed to draw two two. You know, th- those sorts of things have just been happening for Manchester City this season, and they'll be hoping that Liverpool hit a, a patch of negative variance as well where things start going against them, but. You know, the way things are going for Liverpool, I can't see that happening. <laughs> They're just churning out win after win. So, yeah, like you said, it's a big game for Manchester City. Um, must win almost if they're, if they're to keep the, uh, the title hopes alive. Defensively, they are allowing 1.09 expected goals against per game. But um, I think I spoke about this when we did the Monday preview. While they're not conceding many chances, when they do concede one, it, it tends to be... Um, a big chance, which has quite a high probability of being scored. So they've allowed 18 non-penalty big chances in 15 matches, which is uh, is quite quite a lot compared to the likes of, say, Leicester, who've allowed nine, which is you know, exactly half um, half the amount, showing just how poor they, um, they have been when it comes to uh, limiting big chances. Uh, yes, yeah, you know, they concede goals, but... They score a ton, and I fully expect them to add to the forty-three goal tally in this game. But it's just, you know, it's whether Manchester United can do what they did against Tottenham um, in midweek, which was almost outwork them. They played at a higher intensity, um, they pressed harder, um, and they counterattacked much better than Tottenham. And I think if they do all those three things, they've got a really good chance in this game of, of causing an upset. They're not going to have a lot of the football. Manchester City are going to be dominant of, uh, in that statistic at the Etihad. Uh, it's just it's just whether Manchester United can force turnovers in in the um, in the right areas in the final third and, and capitalise. But I don't think it's a coincidence that United have had a good um, a good record against the better teams this season. I think it just suits the game. They, they played they're very organised at the back. They don't get enough credit for that. They they allowing just 1.2 expected goals against per game. They're, they're very organised, they're solid, they're hard to break down. They don't concede too many chances. Um, but when they're playing against the better teams, they're more than happy to sit on the back foot, let the let the, the other team try and break them down and then counter-attack. Because they've got you know extraordinary pace on the counter-attack with the likes of Rashford and Dan James. Um, and I think that's why they've got such a good record. Obviously, 
Um, they beat Chelsea, they drew with Wolves, they beat Leicester, they've drawn with Arsenal, if we can still class them as a big team. Um, they beat Spurs. Um, and, you know, they're the only team that's taken points off Liverpool this season. So um, they'll be fancying their chances of coming into this game and getting at least a point. Um, from a betting perspective, though, I think the the, the only real um, play for me is, is to look at backing both teams to score. Uh, I think... We, we calculate a 58% chance of that happening compared to around 40, 54% on the market. So um, we think there's you know there's decent value in backing both teams to score. And given what I've just said about United being a huge threat on the counter-attack and Manchester City usually leaving gaps um, in defence, um, I think United will get on the score sheet and obviously Manchester City will um, will as well. So I think both teams scores is the, is the a decent bet in this one. And also, you know, over two and a half goals as well, if you've if you want in a bigger price, you can combine the two. You can get just, I think, just short of even money if you combine the two. Because we've got value on over two and a half as well, sixty-seven percent compared to sixty-five percent. So, yeah, goals is the way is the way we're looking in in this one rather than uh, the one x two, which we've, we've got priced up pretty similar to the market. And do you think that you kind of mentioned there the United's tactical setup and how that's that's worked against we'll call them big six teams, whatever you want to call them? Is that Solskjaer doing a good job or is it just Manchester United seem a bit one-dimensional and it just so happens that that style of play gets good results against the top six. What do you think on that? Um, I mean, I think anyone who plays any sort of video game like FIFA, for example, could tell you that Manchester United have got raw pace in the team and the obvious thing to do is counter-attack. So I'm not going to give too much credit to Solskjaer for that one because, you know, for me, it's a pretty obvious tactic against teams that like to dominate the football. Um you know, I'll give him credit for getting the defence organised because I think he's done that pretty well in those games. He's made them hard to beat in terms of um, conceding a few chances. And we saw that against uh, Tottenham in midweek. I think David De Gea didn't really have much to do, barring um, Deli Ali's fantastic goal. And yeah, every shot that they did concede after that was was of low probability from around in and around the edge of the area. And you know, if you do that in matches, you, you know, likelihood is you're going to keep a clean sheet. Um, obviously, in that game they didn't, but. You know, I think fair play to Solskjaer for the defensive tactics, but going forward, I think it's literally as soon as you get the ball, you know, quick transitions, try and break the lines as fast as you can, and um, yeah, just cause havoc with pace. Really, uh, I don't think there's too much rocket science behind it. Right, next up we've got Aston Villa versus Leicester, and Villa almost caused a bit of a shock against Chelsea. As you said, we're not going to go as far as saying Chelsea were were clinging on, but they did do well to limit what is a strong attacking side to to low quality chances for the most part. And Chelsea gave it a good go, and they they were the better the t- better team over the ninety minutes. But good times continue for Leicester. Another win, another clean sheet. It's hard to pick any fault with their performance against Watford and. They now look like a team that deserves to be second in the table and their expected points are beginning to catch up and reflect that, but so too are their odds in the betting markets. They're, they're quite heavy favourites considering they're on the road here. Do you, do you think that's deserved? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, we've been really impressed with Leicester since Brent Rodgers came in um, and their, their rating's been improving week on week ever since his arrival. And you know we've made them stronger favourites than the market does in this one. We've got them at 56% compared to 53%. So um, there's definitely value in looking at Leicester to win. And I think the the main reason for that is that Aston Villa continue uh, to concede plenty of chances. Uh, they're allowing, 
2.09 expected goals against per game. And you only have to look at the games against the big teams that they've already played or the best teams in the league. And you know, Liverpool, they've allowed 2.74. Uh, they allowed 2.25 against Manchester United, uh, two against Chelsea. It was over two against Manchester City as well. So when it comes to playing the better teams, um, you know, the, the better teams always seem to find a way to create good chances against them. And um, I can see something exactly uh, very similar in this one. Uh, I think part of that is, is, is due to the fact that they've been quite brave, Villa. And uh, I think Dean Smith deserves a bit of credit for that. that he, you know, he's not, he's not rested on his laurels and tried to sit 10, 10, people, 10 men at the back and, and make them hard to beat. They've actually gone out and tried to beat, win matches. And fair play to him. It's, it's the sort of tactic you want to see more often from teams that get promoted. And in fairness, all three promoted teams from last season have, have done that, exactly that. You know, Villa, Norwich and Sheffield United. Every single game has been entertaining because they've been trying to attack even the better teams, which, um, you know, sometimes it works for you, sometimes it doesn't. And for the majority of the season, uh, it hasn't worked for Villa. But you never know. In the uh, in the second half, it might things might turn around, but I just think Leicester are too strong here. They're really trending in a, in a hugely positive manner. Uh, the, the performances against Everton and Watford were fantastic. Obviously, they limited Watford to next to nothing. Um, Everton, they, they, although they scored late, they comfortably won the XG battle. And before that, the last away game, they just went to Brighton and absolutely destroyed Brighton. And, and we saw what Brighton did to Arsenal last week. So, uh, sorry. On Thursday night, so that that's you know that is no that's not an easy victory to go down to Brighton and get the win and, and they racked up over four expected goals in that one. So yeah, it, it's hard to look past Leicester in this one. And obviously, if you look at the last five Premier League games, they've won four of them without conceding uh, by a two 0 scoreline. Ironically, so maybe that that could be an interesting angle. It seems like they get one in front, the other team tries to apply the pressure and then they hit them on the counter-attack with a second. So, um, obviously, that happened with Crystal Palace as well, in which was another fully deserved win. Um, and, yeah, they're just not conceding chances at the minute. They, like I said, they rank as the best team in the league when it comes to allowing non-penalty big chances. Um, allow just, just nine this season, which is um, fantastic, really, in 15 games. Um, and as you mentioned, early on in the season, they the process wasn't up to scratch with where they were in the league. But... As I said, it's a worrying sign because I, I felt there was still room for improvement in terms of their process. And now that now we're, we're starting to see that. We're starting to see the performances get better. Um, and obviously, if, when the performances get better, the results are likely going to stay the same as when you had that positive variance at the start of the season. So they are really looking like a... Um, well, I'm not going to try and jinx it for them, but they're looking almost set for a top four finish. They are performing to a really high level week in, week out. And you know, they've got a 12-point cushion already, which is quite staggering. Almost gasped there, Jake. I thought you were going to say title contender. No, no, no. Not going that way. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what, they're on the seven-match winning streak. If they can extend that to 17, then maybe. <laughs> but um, even then, I'd probably still doubt uh, doubt them because I think Liverpool are just playing as as well, if not better than, than Leicester, and they've got an eight-point gap already. But... Um, I think they'll extend it to eight wins here. I think they, they, they look really strong. And I think what is what is nice to see from Leicester and, and, and Brendan Rodgers is the fact that he's not tinkering with the team. He's, he's very He's got a very settled unit um, and he can pick the team week in, week out. You know exactly who's going to play. You've got Vardy's going to lead the line and he's probably going to score again. He's, is he on a seven-match scoring streak as well and looking to break his record of, uh, of 11, Barnes is going to play, Perez is going to play, Madison and Didi, Tielemans. I mean, the team picks itself. And when that happens, 
uh, that level of consistency. Everyone knows a role. Everyone knows what's expected of them. Um, and it's just so much easier to maintain the level of process that they are doing, which at the minute is, you know, it's fantastic getting better by the week. So, like I said, we've got a decent amount of value in backing um, Leicester to win this one. We don't think there'll be too many goals. I would not be at all surprised if Leicester keep another clean sheet here. We're 48% chance of both teams to score. So we're almost advising against backing both teams to score. And the same for over two and a half goals. So we think it's going to be a, a low score and away win. And you know, 2 0 wouldn't be, uh, it seems to be their favourite score line. So I, I, if you want a bigger price, go for the 2 0. Game week 26, date in your diary, special episode of Why Leicester are title contenders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, to be fair, if they get to that point and they are still within touching distance, that'd be impressive because they'll have played Liverpool, they'll have played Manchester City again. So, um, so they'll play Liverpool again, they'll have played Manchester City, and if they can come through that and win those games, then yeah, absolutely, they'll be title contenders. Right now, we'll move on to Newcastle versus Southampton. And Newcastle, as you predicted, they come out that difficult start and they don't look as nailed on for relegation as many people had them down early in the season, but. That said, the the performances haven't really been as impressive as the results and they really seem to be struggling going going forward and it won't be long before that catches up with them and they'll start to drop down the table if that continues. And Their opponent, Southampton, they, they did enough to get the win against Norwich and it was Danny Ings again. He, he seems to be central to any success they're going to have this season. They've they come out of that sticky patch and they could have been struggling, but if they if they'd have lost, but now they're looking more towards the top half of the table rather than down towards the relegation zone and another win here and they'll they'll be there, they'll be mid table. So is there any value in taking them to get the three points here? Um yeah, well we see this as a very even game really and um it's actually quite an interesting one because like you said, Newcastle have surged up the league to the point where they're behind only Arsenal on goal difference, which is quite staggering given the the poor start that they made and you know, it was always going to get easier for them. That they had a really tough schedule to start off, and um, and now they're picking up points uh, in games would expect them to. But having said that, they are being fortunate as well. Um, you know, you only have to look at the last two games and somehow managed to draw with Manchester City despite creating next to nothing according to expected goals, and and somehow managed to go to Sheffield United and get a win, doing exactly the same thing. And uh, I'm sure if you ask Chris Wilder, he'll still be fuming about that second goal. Play to the, the whistle. Lines. Play to the whistle. Yeah, it's, you know it's rule one. It's rule one. But I've got to defend the players here because if if the linesman flag is up, naturally you're going to stop. You're going to look over and say, "Oh, he's offside." Whereas what should happen is the linesman shouldn't put his flag up. That would make it so much easier. Which is what I think they're told to do. They're told to keep the flag down, and then when the goal's gone in, and then you can run back and put the flag up um, to to signal that you think it was offside. But you know, I, I, you know, I understand both sides of that argument. You've got to play to the whistle, definitely. But, um, but the linesman should have just kept his flag down, and everyone would have just carried on playing on like normal. And he, he probably would have still scored because he was through one on one with the goalkeeper with a run on all the defenders. But, um, but you know, even even including uh, including that goal, Newcastle were fortunate to beat Sheffield United. Um, yeah, the Blades created much the better chances over the 90 minutes. Um, but there were, there were some really good positives to take from a Newcastle perspective. I, uh, I really thought Andy Carroll was was strong in the first half and threw his weight around, as he usually does. Played really uh, played that focal point much better than Joe Linton has um, so far this season. So if he plays here, Southampton's back two are really vulnerable and really weak. And I think Carroll could bully them and cause them serious problems. Uh, it's just whether how long he can play for. 
and how long he can stay fit for, really. Defensively, they, you know, they only conceded one big chance to Sheffield United, but um, on the whole, they were, they were basically doing everything that we said that the newly promoted teams haven't been doing, which is just sitting in and trying to weather storms. Um, in this case, it's worked for them, and against Manchester City, it works thanks to some not-so-clinical finishing from City, but sooner or later, that will catch up with them because... You know they've had a lot of positive variance, and soon at some point in the near future, they might see a lot of low probability chances flying um, from the edge of the box. So you know they they have to be careful. But what they, what we're what we're seeing from them at the minute is that they are picking up points in games that they should be picking up points in, um, which is a huge positive for Steve Bruce. And like you said, they are starting to pull away from the relegation zone. Well, you know, uh, five points clear of the relegation zone. So, uh, but in terms of process, there. Defensively, they're still allowing plenty of good chances per game. One point eight six, they are gettable, and I think this Southampton team are, are you know, really strong um, attacking unit. Again, comfortable, not so comfortable really against Norwich. Uh, race to a two nil, two nil lead, and then just sort of, just sort of held on. That was that was a hold on moment uh, where it almost looked like Southampton were camped in their eighteen yard box, but um, you know they got the win. Again, two two wit. Uh, games against teams in and around them where they won and and as I'm, I think I said on the on the Mon- Monday pod the fact that they played uh, a real tough schedule in the last six or seven which is why they've not won for so long um, and then obviously the games have got easier uh, and I do think Southampton are a much better team than a relegation battle team and, and ultimately they've got those wins and I wouldn't be surprised if they go up to St James's and keep that run going um, like I said in terms of expected goals they've they've been really really good this season and we mentioned that obviously they had the bad luck at the start of the season where they were playing well, weren't getting results. Then they went through a period where they were playing poorly and, uh, and not get, rightly not getting the results. But now we're starting to see them, because they're playing against um, you know weaker opponents like Arsenal, Watford, and Norwich. They actually um, they're getting good results, which is where, you know where they keep playing like they are, um, creating good chances. One point five seven expected goals for, and I fully expect them to create Newcastle to cause all sorts of problems for Newcastle and. Like you said, Danny Ings is a is a man on fire at the minute, scoring pretty much every week. Um, but he's he's a very underrated striker in this league. He always seems to find himself on the end of big chances. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he added to his tally here. But in terms of betting, we we think there's going to be goals here, which might be a surprise to many, given that Newcastle are involved. But um, we're fifty seven percent chance of over two and a half, fifty nine percent chance of both teams to score. And you only have to look at Southampton's previous games to see how often that happens. And um, but we, we think they'll come out on top in this one, Southampton. We actually make them favourites for the game. Uh, market's got Newcastle at thirty-nine percent favourites. We make Southampton forty percent favourites. So there's a, you know, there's a, we've got a nine percent edge, if you like, um, thinking that Southampton are going to get the three points. So a big price taking Southampton to go to Newcastle and get the win is, is the selection in that one. Yeah, again the. The goals you mentioned just there kind of jumps out again. I guess it goes to prove that it's not necessarily about what you think will happen. It's what you think will happen compared to the odds that are on the market if you're looking to kind of get that long-term value. Because again, this is one, the odds at Pinnacle 2 and 2.5 and the market is, is kind of even split at those. So we'll have to watch and see what happens with that. Our next game is Norwich versus Sheffield United. And these are two teams that we've, we've just spoken about. Um, Norwich, they didn't start too well. And as you said, it was probably too little too late and it seemed like that win against Everton it could have really got them going but it could be a long season for them I feel if their defence doesn't dramatically improve and 
Sheffield United were one of the more fortunate teams this season. So it was only going to be a matter of time before they were on the receiving end of some bad luck. And as we've just said, that's exactly what happened against Newcastle. Two goals conceded from just 0.68 XG. And the the one where Shelby was wise enough to to play on and put it in the back of the net after everyone was stopped, that was 0.44 of that 0.68. So two promoted teams here, one of them having a much better season than the other. But how do you think this game plays out? Yeah, this is a really interesting game. Like you said, it's <clears throat> like obviously just looking at the at the raw table and, and seeing Norwich second bottom and Sheffield United in the top half, you would imagine that uh, we would pick Sheffield United to be you know, favourites as the market has. But we actually think that they are too short for this one. We don't think there's too much between the two sides when you include home field advantage. We give Norwich a 39% chance of winning. We make them favourites to get the win. Um, which suggests to me that we we rate Sheffield United as slightly better than Norwich, um, but using the home, home field advantage, Norwich have got the edge in this one. And um, you know, I think it's you look at this one and you see Sheffield United unbeaten away from home, and you think that how can you be tipping up Norwich to win? But you look at Sheffield United's performances away from home, and they've actually been really poor, and they've been really fortunate to to remain unbeaten. Um, well, they got they got nine points from seven uh, seven away games, so they've drawn six and won one. So they're not winning games uh, too many games away from them, but they're not losing them. And a huge um, factor for that is that they've conceded only six goals from chances equating to nearly thirteen expected goals. So they're living a charmed life on the road um, in terms of conceding goals. They're allowing one point eight four expected goals against per game away from home and, and they actually rank as the as the fifth worst away team in the league on expected goals. So um, for me, it's only a matter of time before that bubble bursts and they do suffer that first away defeat. And, you know, it could happen here. And like, like you said, what we saw from Norwich against Everton was really positive and uh, it filled us with hope that they could perhaps turn things around. But even the game against Arsenal, they conceded a ton of good chances. Um created very little according to expected goals despite the eye test suggesting that they dominated the game um, and the same against Southampton they conceded 1.7 xG and, and, and created just 0.88 which is quite a poor return for a, for a team that is you know when you think of Norwich you think of their attacking players and their attacking philosophy and in terms of their xG created it, it's really low um, compared to what would be expected you know they're generating just 1.15 expected goals for per game which is um, it's I think it's the second lowest or third lowest behind only Crystal Palace and, uh, and Newcastle. So, you know, while we have seen glimpses of what they're capable of, you think of the, the win against Newcastle at home where they were comfortably the better team and, and created plenty of good chances and limited Newcastle well. Um, and the, the away win at Everton, we've not seen too much other than that. But, you know, week by week, they're getting players back fit, key players as well. Um, Obviously, we mentioned the fact that on Monday that the defence was obliterated in terms of injuries uh, and they're finally getting some players back in. They're still having to play Byram at left-back, who's naturally a right-back. Um, but, you know, if they, if they play like they did against um, Everton and, and Arsenal, because what we saw against Arsenal was them beating the press really well. Um, and I think Sheffield United will put a high press on. I think if Norwich can do what they did against Arsenal and beat that press again, um, and as long as their decision-making is better um, with the shot locations, then I think they've got a good chance of getting something from this game. And like I said, we think there's a, a really good value good value in backing the home win. 39% on, uh, we've got, 29% on the market. 
Um, we think there'll be goals as well. 52% chance of both teams to score, which isn't a surprise given uh, what we've seen from Norwich. They do concede chances. Um, I would be I would be surprised if Norwich managed to keep a clean sheet in this game. But, um, but yeah, there's, there's value in backing Norwich win, which is obviously against what the market's saying and probably against what many people think heading into this weekend. Yeah, I think it's, I saw an interesting stat the other day that I think the Newcastle game was the first time Sheffield United had lost by, by more than one goal in the league this year and they don't tend to win many by more than a goal either so perhaps a bit of insight into how Wilder sets up and, and what he tries to do with the game. Yeah, I mean, that, that I think listening to the commentary last night I'm pretty sure he said that um, that Sheffield United hadn't been beaten by a two-goal margin since they were in League One so which which extends to almost three years which is, is staggering really shows just how hard they fight to stay in matches uh, um, even if they do go a couple of goals down um, so yeah it'll, it'll be a tight game either way for me I think maybe a 2-1 Norwich win is where I'd be looking Right so Brighton versus Wolves and I said it before we're we're quite big fans of Brighton on this podcast and we might be learning that uh, speaking of teams we're fans of we might be learning that uh, a win against Arsenal probably isn't what it once was, but nothing should take away from that performance at the Emirates. Hats off to Graham Potter for what he's done there at Brighton, and it. I mean, they look like a completely different team to last season. And speaking of last season, Wolves are another team that they've impressed this season. They impressed last season. They they look just as good as they did last year. There, I'm beaten in ten. It was a, a convincing win against West Ham in midweek, and there sees them move up to fifth, and they thoroughly deserve to be there. So. This for me, I know we've got the Manchester derby, but this should be a really good match. And Brighton have been good. They've been even better at home. And, and Wolves look like a team that can cause anyone problems. So what does InfoGoal make of this one? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this game. I think this is... I'm just really happy it's on TV, to be honest. We'll be able to actually watch it. Um, like you mentioned, there's two really good sides. Um, you, you said that Brighton look a completely different team. That's because they are a different team. They're playing just a completely different brand of football. Um, they're being brave on the ball. They're passing through the lines quicker. Um, they're keeping the ball much better. And they're creating chances through intricate play, which is opposite of what we saw from Chris Hewton, which was very direct um, and scoring a lot of goals from set pieces. They've been um, a breath of fresh air this year, Brighton. I know um, anyone who follows the championship will have seen what Graham Potter did with Swansea. and, and all, I mean, he did a sensational job, really. They lost all their best players in the in the um, in the summer window. He had youth team players, and he developed them into into what was a hugely very strong Swansea team by the end of the season, in which they were unfortunate not to make the playoffs. So, um, obviously, we covered the championship on Infogol, so we had all the underlying data of, of how impressive they were and the upward trajectory that the, he got them on. So, you know, I was quite confident that he'd come into Brighton uh, and do something similar because they've got good players there, and you know. I think I can't remember if I did say it on the Monday podcast, but um, we were talking about it beforehand. And like the game against Arsenal, I think Brighton's midfield is so much better than Arsenal's midfield um, in terms of quality, the the calmness on the football, and the ability to actually pass through the lines. Which is why I was pretty confident that Brighton would get something at the Emirates. I didn't think they'd go there and win, um, but you know they fully deserve that win. One point nine nine expected goals to one point zero three. The almost doubled Arsenal's XG tally um, at home and fully deserved the win, like you said. And it's been a long time coming, that, to be fair, because they, I think they, the last away win Brighton had was at the start of the season. Um, but they went into that game on the back of three um, three straight defeats, albeit to Man United, Leicester and Liverpool. Um, 
but I guess Arsenal are a decent team at the minute to snap your losing run against. Um, yeah, the Brighton have just, like you said, the home form has been fantastic. They're creating um, plenty of good chances on a regular basis at home. 1.85 expected goals for this eighth in our ex- expected goals table um, when just looking at home matches. Uh, but for me, this is probably one of the tougher tests they're going to face this season. I think Wolves are Wolves are deservedly or deserve to be in the conversation for a top six place um, or at least to be to be called one of the best teams in the league because for me they are I think they're absolutely fantastic I, I love watching Wolves they're just so well organised um, in the system that they play and they've got quality you know I talked about Brighton's midfield and how cool they are on the ball but Wolves are arguably better uh, and more experienced with Ruben Neves and Jean Moutinho and um, yeah this, I think this is going to be a really good match it's going to be a great matchup we saw Brighton play a three at the back at the Emirates um, for, for the most part and Obviously, that's Wolves' main system. It's going to be really interesting to see what Graham Potter's got up his sleeves for this Wolves system. And, you know, the fact that Wolves were already qualified in the Europa League is, gives them licence to have a go at this game, given that they've got a Thursday night match coming up. But there'll be no resting of any players. Um, like you said, they, they've pissed in the table now. They're only six points behind Chelsea. So they've perhaps sniffed an opportunity to, to follow Leicester into that top four. <clears throat> The fact that they've only lost twice this season says it all for me in 15 matches. They are really hard to beat. They stay in matches very well. Create plenty of good chances, which we're starting to see on a more regular basis now. Um, And they limit chances very well. They are performing like a top 16, undoubtedly. And the process is 1.61 expected goals for 1.3 against. They're just slowly clawing the way back to the process that they showed all last season. Um, And if not, they might end up bettering it this season, given... Uh, given that everyone else in the league, the likes of United, Arsenal and Tottenham, are perhaps not at the level that they that they were last season. So, yeah, th- I think this is going to be a really interesting game to watch. I think Infocol thinks it's going to be really entertaining. We've got goals in this one. We've got 55% chance of over two and a half, which represents a huge deal of value on, compared to the market. Um, I think the market's got around 42%. So, there's a huge deal of value there. And 57% of both teams to score. Again, huge amount of value. So we think it's going to be a really entertaining game between two teams that do like to attack. Um, but we also think that, I mean, the market's currently got Brighton as favourites for the game, probably due to recency bias on, on the fact that they beat an Arsenal. But Infocol thinks that Wolves are, or Wolves should be heavy favourites for this, even on the road. Um, 35% Brighton, like I said, on the market, 34% Wolves, and Infocol gives Wolves a 45% chance of getting the win, um, which is obviously 11% margin there um, in hopefully in Invergold's favour if Wolves can go there and keep this this excellent one going Yeah as you said they're one that the, the market just can't seem to make its mind up either way, 30s across the board on, on both teams and another one with a, a low total goals marker 2 and 2.5 and the, the market interested in the under again maybe it's it's too close to call for betters. Maybe yeah but, but the, the goals market for me is a real surprise I mean you only have to look at Brighton's um, home games this season and Every single one of them has pretty much featured plenty of goals. Um, obviously, the 1-1 with West Ham, in which Brighton were unlucky not to score more. Uh, the 2-0 with Southampton, you could probably drop that out of the equation, given that they played for the second half with 10 men. Um, 1-1 with Burnley, in which there should have been more according to expected goals. The 3-0 against Spurs, 3-2 against Everton. So, for me, this is two really attack-minded teams. I think Wolves are very organised, don't get me wrong, but they, they are vulnerable. They showed that against both Villa and Bournemouth when they conceded um, goals to, 
take the gloss off 2-0 wins. So yeah, I think this is going to be a really open game. I think you only have to look at what Brighton did last night against uh, against Arsenal in terms of the sort of the way that they play is is quite open. They do leave themselves exposed, and yeah, I mean, we'll get on to Arsenal in the next game. But when they brought Nicolas Pepe on, he looked like he was going to be fantastic, but he's just got no end product. And you compare that to Adama Traore, who at the minute is is probably a much better player than Nicolas Pepe and he's got much better end product and I think Dan Byrne playing at left back could be a huge problem for Brighton in this game with Adama Traore as, as his potential matchup. Adama Traore and end product are two things I didn't think I'd hear in the same sentence 12 months ago. Yeah, he's come on leaps and bounds to be fair to him but I think Nuno deserves some credit for that. Getting him in a team regularly obviously helps. Um, yeah, I think he's going to be a, pro- a key player in this game. Right, you just said it there. Last game, West Ham versus Arsenal, and I think we're saving the best till last this week. Our, t- <laughs> our two favourite teams on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd be very surprised if we have any West Ham fans and Arsenal fans listening to this after what's been said over the first 15 games of the season. They're just, they're very, very poor teams. There's, there's not much more you can say. Both of them lost in midweek. Both of them deserved it. West Ham looked terrible at the back. Arsenal weren't much better. And, and for a team, for me, they're, on paper, they've got one of the best front lines in the league and they just don't seem to create much going forward. I, I, I don't know what the issue is there with them, but Arsenal favourites to get the win here. Is there is there any value available in the odds, do you think? Uh, I think you know the answer to that, don't you, before I have to say it. <laughs> uh, the answer is no. We don't think there's any value at all in, in backing Arsenal again. Obviously, everyone knows just by looking at the, um, you know, the, the Premier League table and especially the away table, how poor Arsenal are on the road. They've got one win away from home all season. They're not very good travellers. Um, like you said, fortunately for them, they're playing West Ham. I guess you could say that for both teams. Fortunately for West Ham, they're playing Arsenal and vice versa. Because um, this is two teams that really are trending in the wrong direction. Um, and they are heading the wrong way down the Premier League table. So, yeah, I mean, we could start with West Ham. I mean, they were very fortunate to beat Chelsea, as we discussed on the Monday pod. But, um, they, you know... They just the performance is just they remain so consistently poor that while you might get the odd one nil win, uh, unfor- you know the one one nil fortunate win, the, the game after if you keep playing the way you're going to do, you're going to lose again. And um, you know getting back to losing ways against Wolves, rightly so, comfortably losing the XG battle, creating next to nothing, and you know the defensively just looks so inept. It's untrue. Like the, the first was it the first goal? Um, or it might have been the second goal where two, where the West Ham player. It might have been Ogbonna went charging across to the right sideline, and and I think it might have been might have been the goal scorer Catrone. He was just looped it over his head and sent him into the first row of the uh, of the stand. And you just why, why are you doing that? Just stand your ground, let, let your mates get back in, and, and t- tighten things up a little bit. But I don't know whether that's to do with the the setup of the manager or if it is just the individual errors. Because I don't really rate any of the West Ham defenders personally. Like Diop's shown a few signs of being okay, but. You know, individually, for me, they're really poor. And when you put them together, not too many good things are going to happen. And we're seeing that in terms of process to allowing 2.14 expected goals against per game. Um, they actually, after that that Wolves game, slumped to second bottom in our expected goals table, which is a new low for West Ham. Um, not because the, <laughs> not not saying that the infield expected goals table is how teams should be judged now, but. Um, you know that even last season when they weren't playing very well, they were still ranked as like 14th or 15th. But now it's got to the point where they are starting to play like 
uh, relegation contenders on a weekly basis. And um, where can they snap this this streak? It's a good team to, for it to for it to happen against. But you look at the the last three games. I know they beat Chelsea, but the performances against Spurs, Chelsea, and Wolves, who are admittedly better than Arsenal, um, they've been really poor. And there's no real reason to think that that's going to turn around in this game, um, especially if if. Michael Antonio is out injured uh, again, which um, you know it was a huge blow for them against Wolves. He looked really good against um, Spurs when he came on and against Chelsea. So yeah, they, they've they've got real problems. But like we said, so have Arsenal. They were exceptionally poor against Brighton. They got the early goal in the second half, and you thought, here we go, they're going to rally. The crowd was getting up, and then within five minutes, the crowd was basically booing uh, because Brighton were playing keep ball and Arsenal couldn't get near them. And you mentioned that. They have on paper got a really good front line. Um, I don't know if that extends to any anything past Lacazette and Aubameyang personally, because I don't rate Nicolas Pepe. Um, Meza Özil comes in and out of matches, but I think the main issue for them is the is the midfield behind the you know, the front three or whatever they end up playing, because they, they're just not very good footballers. Um, they don't progress the ball well enough. They don't pass through the lines well enough, um, and they make too many individual mistakes. You know, I was watching the second half of the game last night and. Granit Xhaka goes to pass the ball back to David Luiz and it hits the bottom of his studs and Brighton are away on a 4v3 break. And that stuff happens week in, week out with Arsenal. When you when you're holding midfielder, your pivot midfielder is is giving the ball away in front of the back four. You're going to concede a lot of good chances on a regular basis. And I don't think they're careful enough with the football in that area. Um and they're not they're not technically good enough to progress the ball to the dangerous players, which is why you end up getting Aubameyang coming and trying to pick the ball up off the midfielders because he's just so isolated. He wants a touch of the football. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd rather have him in that position or on the wide left position, which is where Lundberg has been playing him at the minute. And yeah, that's bizarre for me. You've got your best goal scorer, but let's stick him out wide left. Don't understand that. Um, but yeah, they, they've got some serious problems. Their process remains that of a bottom half team. 1.54 expected goals for, 1.67 against. Um, and the same goes for them like it was with West Ham. If you keep playing the same way and churning out the same process, you're going to keep getting the same results, whether you've changed your manager or not. So, yeah, it's hard to make a case for either of these teams to get a win. Um, probably going to, It's probably going to be a boring draw. Um, I think both teams will probably shake their hands on a draw, given, what, given what's happening at the moment. Um, but, yeah, it was a small amount of value in, in West Ham on the draw. Uh, like I said, Arsenal are 48% on the market. We've given them a... 44% chance of winning, which means that there's a small amount of value in signing with the hosts. And yeah, other than that, there's not too much to say, really. I think West Ham have got a pretty decent record against better teams. They do tend to show up a little bit more. Uh, you think, obviously, they beat Manchester United earlier the season at London, uh, the London Stadium. They've beaten Chelsea recently. So they've got that going for them, I guess. But in terms of value, we're looking at, um, at a low scoring game. So we we're, we're actually think there's going to be um, under 3.5 goals we're given a 60% chance around 57% on the market so we're not we're not we don't think it's going to be a, like a 2-2 draw maybe a 1-1 um, and both teams can shake hands and hope things turn around some some positivity just eking out of you ever so slightly I think Jay because you couldn't have sounded more hesitant when you said it though we can sit back and enjoy the action and it, it won't be long before we're doing it all again Appreciate your time as always, Jake. Thanks for coming on and helping to analyse this weekend's fixtures. Yep, anytime. Uh, yeah, got another good weekend of fixtures next week as well, but coming thick and fast over this uh, Christmas period. 
Thanks to everyone for listening. If you want more information on InfoGoal, then visit infogold.net, follow at InfoGoal app on Twitter, and download the app on iTunes and Android. You can find all the latest odds for game week 16 of the Premier League on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets, and remember to please gamble responsibly. 